In our lesson today, we will complete our look at the family. Our look at the family in which we have allowed the letters in the word family itself to guide us in our study. The F, as we have seen, should remind us of the father of the family, the head of the family, the spiritual head, the spiritual leader of the family. And as we've said, that letter is at the beginning of the word where the father should be in the family, at the head or the beginning. And then we've looked at authority as the A represents that authority that should be respected. Authority for the father and for the mother on the part of the children, but respect for the authority from every member of the family for God's authority, for his final revelation of himself to man through his will, and especially the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the New Testament. And then the mother, the M, the mother, right in the middle of the word family, as we have said, where she should be, because she is such an integral and influential part of the family. And so we conclude our look at the word family by continuing through the word and letting the I in the word family suggest to us instruction and how vitally important the right kind of instruction is in the family. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The inspired words of Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Words that remind us that instruction comes from the heart. Remember he said, these words shall first of all be in your heart. Then you shall teach them diligently. The word of God has to penetrate the heart, and the instruction comes from the heart. It comes from deep inside, and it comes at all times. Not only at designated Bible study time, not only at a designated family devotional time, but at every opportunity, the parents in the home should take advantage of the opportunities to teach their children Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We talked about this verse in the Bible class this morning, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. And we discussed the fact that it is a much misunderstood passage. The late guy in Woods gives us an analysis of it in his Questions and Answers book, volume 1, at pages 191 through 194. And in that context, he discusses this matter and says that to train means more than to impart instruction. And being a student of the Hebrew, as Brother Woods was, he says literally in the Hebrew it means to put in one's mouth. To put it in one's mouth. Literally, or figuratively rather, to initiate, to lay the groundwork of character, to instill principle. And of course, this presupposes the ability of the child to receive the principles that are taught and to form them into his character. In other words, children have responsibility. And two children, two children with equal training may turn out vastly different. 
explainable only by the fact that the sons or the daughters or the son and daughter differ very much so. Train. In the way he should go. What does that mean? According to the tenor of his way. That is, in harmony with his disposition. In harmony with his natural talents and his individual character. That is, it takes into consideration the individuality of the child. And we've talked about this before. The standard is the same for every child. But the approach may be varied depending upon the personality of the child. We don't alter the standard, but we approach the child differently depending upon the tenor of his way. And of course, we've discussed the fact that the phrase, when he is old, does not mean when he becomes a teenager or when he becomes a young adult, but it means just what it says, when he is old. In other words, it means old age. And if an individual lives into his or her old age, the principles of God's Word, it is then highly unlikely that that individual will depart. Though, as we talked about in Bible class this morning, one notable exception was Solomon himself, who penned the words by inspiration in Proverbs 22, 6. And yet in his old age, 1 Kings 11, verse 4, his foreign wives led him astray. I believe he came home to God and died in covenant relationship based upon the evidence, and some of it was discussed and brought out beautifully by Ron in class in the comment that he made this morning. But it was in his old age that the departure came. And so there are exceptions. The Proverbs give us general rules, but there are at times exceptions. But when he is old does not mean young adulthood. Therefore, parents do not need to beat themselves up unnecessarily if a child departs at that point in time, nor does a parent need to beat himself or herself up unnecessarily if the parents have done all that they can to truly nurture and to bring their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We've talked about in Bible class recently Samuel and Eli. Samuel and Eli both had ungodly children, both of them. Eli is condemned for it in Scripture explicitly because he did not discipline his children. But we do not find a single word of rebuke concerning Samuel, who obviously tried to teach his sons while Eli did not restrain his sons. Brother Woods quotes a writer named Clarkson in his material, and he commends his statement concerning this matter. Here's the quote. Not the very best training of the very wisest parents in the world can positively secure goodness and wisdom in their children. For when they have done everything in their power, there must remain that element of individuality which will choose its own course and form its own character. Brother Woods also observes the bitter irony, as we've said, in the fact that the man who penned the words in Proverbs 22, 6, forsook the counsel of his father David and turned away in his heart after other gods. And he did it in old age. Why? Because he had not properly received and adapted the teaching of his father. And some final words from Brother Woods on this matter. 
will lead us to our next letter in the word family. Brother Wood says, quote, Our children may choose to reject the truth we teach them and to slight the example we set them and to despise the counsel we give them. In the will of every child, there is a power which cannot be forced, which can only be won. We can only try to win them. And that leads to the next letter in the word family, the L, love. Because God seeks to win us over to him and to his son by his love. By the boundless, matchless love that has been so beautifully and completely manifested to us through his word and in the giving of his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is it any wonder that John would write in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. And when we think of the word love, we must lead our children to love the Lord with all of their being. But we have to understand love from the biblical perspective. You know, there are all sorts of definitions of love, from, from warm affection to a score of zero in tennis. They are all over the place in terms of defining love. But our concern must be with the biblical perspective on it. We must realize that biblical love, for example, is not letting our children do as they please but it is leading them to do what pleases God. That's our responsibility with every member of our family. And that's our responsibility as the family of God, to lead every member of the family of God to do what pleases God. An unknown author wrote, The family is like a book. The children are the leaves. The parents are the covers that protective beauty gives. At first, the pages of the book are blank and purely fair, but time soon writes its memories and paints its pictures there. Love is the little golden clasp that bindeth up the trust. Oh, break it not, lest all the leaves shall scatter and be lost. That's how important love is. And children in the home must see parents who are exhibiting the very highest form of love for God, that agape love, that love that sacrifices, that love that gives, that love that does what is best for the one who is the object of that love, whether that person is considered worthy of that love or not. That's why Jesus said, in the highest form of love, agape, that's the kind of love that you're to exhibit even towards your enemies. Love your enemies. That is not a warm feeling of affection necessarily, obviously. That's a different kind of love, phileo. But the agape love is doing that which is best for those because of the value of the one who is the recipient of that love. How valuable is the immortal soul? It is valuable beyond description. Children must see parents exhibiting that love. 
those in this community must see us exhibiting that kind of love for one another. For our brothers and our sisters in Christ. You know, someone has said to dwell there above with those we love will be glory. But to live here below with those we know, that's another story. Well, should it be another story? No. No, what we have here in the family of God at White Oak should be a foretaste of what we ultimately will enjoy for all eternity with brothers and sisters in Christ whom we love here and whom we will love there. And how does that agape love manifest itself? It does manifest itself in loving every brother and sister in Christ without distinction. And that's what James reminds us of, doesn't he? In James chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, when he said, You brethren, don't you hold the faith of, your, of the Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. Somebody walks into your assembly and he's dressed in fine clothes and you invite him right down front and put him in the most prominent seat in the place. Then another one comes in in rags and you put him over here in the corner in the floor at your footstool. Shame on you, he said. Why? Because the Lord knows no partiality and views every precious soul as just that, precious beyond description. Love manifests itself then in loving every brother and sister in Christ without distinction. Love looks for opportunities to show itself, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul reminds us in Galatians 6 and verse 2. It sacrifices its own interests for those of others. John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus did just that. Laid down his life for us when we were anything but his friends from our perspective. Agape love forgives when a brother or sister repents. Agape love manifests a forgiving spirit even when repentance is not forthcoming. Now there is a distinction. We've talked about it before. There's a vast difference between extending forgiveness and maintaining a forgiving spirit. I cannot forgive someone who will not repent because God will not do that and He will not expect me to do what He cannot do. But God always what? Has that forgiving spirit toward those who have not repented. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 God's dream, if you will, is for every precious soul on earth to repent. And He has a forgiving spirit toward all, but He will not extend forgiveness to those who refuse to repent, nor can we. But even though we cannot extend forgiveness to those who will not repent, we must have an attitude that desires their repentance, prays for their repentance. A forgiving spirit. But agape love also does not overlook sin. And therefore we cannot claim to love God when we overlook that which God cannot overlook and will not overlook. And that is sin. Agape love keeps the commandments of the Lord. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, as the American Standard renders it, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And agape love also, and we've talked about this recently, disciplines. Agape love, true biblical love, does discipline. Agape love disciplines in the home. Agape love disciplines in the church, in the family of God. As far as the home is concerned, tragically, there are too many children today that are being reared by psychology books rather than by this book. And that fact is illustrated by the little rhyme that someone wrote concerning Junior. Junior bit the meter man. Junior hit the cook. Junior's antisocial now, according to the book. Not the book. Junior smashed the clock and lamp. Junior hacked the tree. Destructive trends are treated in chapters 2 and 3. Not of this book. The psychology book. Junior threw his milk at mom. Junior screamed for more. Notes on self-assertiveness are found in chapter 4. Junior tossed his shoes and socks out into the rain. Negation. That is normal. Disregard the strain. Junior set dad's shirt afire. Whittled grandpa's pine. That's to gain attention. See page 89. Grandpa grabbed a slipper, yanked Junior across his knee. He's read nothing but the Bible since 1893. (laughs) You know what Grandpa might have read was, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Grandpa might have read, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly, Proverbs 13, 24. And Grandpa might have read the entire epistle of 1 Corinthians, which shows that love disciplines. Now, we're not talking about physical abuse. We've mentioned that before. But discipline properly administered is biblically based and authorized. Jesus challenged us to love as he loved, didn't he? John 13, 34 and 35. He challenged us to love with the highest, noblest love. And that's the agape love. A new commandment, he said on that occasion, I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The preaching and practice of this kind of love by parents in the home will hopefully lead children to love him who first loved us. Again, 1 John 4, 19. Now to the last letter in the word family, and that is the why, and it reminds us of the youth. The youth, the young ones, the children, Psalm 127. Verses 3 through 5 of Psalm 127 read, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. You know, much has been written about children and the smiles they bring to our faces. A five-year-old girl was asked by the preacher how many children were in her family, and she said, seven. And the preacher said, 
ooh, that many children must cost a lot. And the little girl said, oh, no, no, we don't buy them, we raise them. <laughs> then there was a couple that sent a playpen to a friend on the arrival of her fourth child. And the mother wrote the couple back in gratitude and said, thank you so much for the pen, it's wonderful. I sit in it every afternoon and read. The children can't get to me. <laughs> An unknown author wrote, the soul of a child is the loveliest flower that grows in the garden of God. Its climb is from weakness to knowledge and power to the sky from the clay and the clod. To beauty and sweetness it grows under care. Neglected, it's ragged and wild. Tis a plant that is tender, but wondrously rare, the sweet, wistful soul of a child. Be tender, O gardener, and give it its share of moisture, of warmth, and of light, and let it not lack for the painstaking care to protect it from frost and from blight. A glad day will come when it bloom, its bloom shall unfold. It will seem that an angel has smiled, reflecting a beauty and sweetness untold in the sensitive soul of a child. What do our children really want from us as parents? You know, there was a survey of teenagers that was taken that revealed this. One, I want you to listen and really hear me. Two, I want a strong moral base from which to launch out. Three, I want family time and family-oriented activities. Four, I want some decision-making responsibilities. Five, I want you to be aware that my problems and concerns are serious to me. Six, I want you to lead me, don't push. Seven, I need a sense of my own individuality, a sense of who I am, my own worth, and something that makes me special. Well, let me ask you this. What gives a child a greater sense of fulfillment in all of these areas than Christianity? What, what makes a child feel more like a special individual than to bring that child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? To help that child realize that he or she is created in the image of Almighty God with a soul that will live forever. When we as parents lead our children to the truth and continue to teach them the truth, by precept and practice we've given them what they really want and what they really need. And that will help to insulate them from the devastating effects of the world by convincing them, convincing them of the importance of the next world and preparing to go there. If then you are raised with Christ, Paul wrote to the Colossians, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. And John admonished in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever.
what should the youth and the family give to the parents? It's a two-way street, you know. They should give obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.1, for this is right. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children should display a loving, submissive spirit to God and to their parents, and that loving, submissive spirit should extend throughout their lives as they always love and respect the father and the mother. The Christian home. Oh, how God must love a friendly home, someone has written, which has a warming smile to welcome everyone who comes to hide or bide a little while. How God must love a happy home where songs and laughter show hearts full of joyous certainty that life means ways to grow. How God must love a loyal home, serenely sound and sure. When troubles come to those within, they still can feel secure. How God must love a Christian home, where faith and love attest that every moment, every hour, He is the honored guest. Does that describe your home, your family? It cannot unless you as an individual part of that family are meeting your responsibility to God, your privilege to love Him as He first loved you and to demonstrate that love by your obedience. If you've not done that by obeying the gospel of Christ initially to become a part of the family of God, the church to which the Lord waits to add you, You must do so by a belief in Jesus that leads you to repent, to confess, and then to be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of sins. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. Some need to come home to your family and to the family of God. In repentance and confession of sin that has been committed publicly, And thus to be repented of in that way as we pray with you and for you to restore you to the family of God, the family that loves you, that misses you, and wants you home, as does God, so that one day you can go home to be with him eternally. As we stand to sing.